Mouth breathing, part one. You know what might be the least funny thing in the entire world? Hit me with it. Spelling comedy with a K. Hey guys, welcome back to Direct-A-Podcast, episode number 16. My name is Kurt Schneider. And I'm Keenan Wetzel. And as always, this podcast is sponsored by Eightfold Creative. On today's show, we've got director Cole Webley. Cole is a strong narrative director from Salt Lake City, Utah. And he recently just did a Super Bowl spot for 84 Lumber. Pretty awesome spot. And he has also just done a ton of other great commercial work, both here in the States and abroad. Um, and now, uh, pretty exciting, guys. We got a, we got a sponsor on the show, so let's uh, go hear from that sponsor right now. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, I think that that's about going to do it for the intro, so let's get into it. Mm-hmm. Hey, Cole, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So l- let's kick things off with, give me, if you could direct one film franchise, what would it be? Ooh. Um, well, I guess does Blade Runner count now that they've made a second one? Yep, Blade Runner now, now counts. Well, then certainly that one. I suppose if I had to do, um, I mean, I don't know, after Denise's version comes out, like I'm pretty sure anything after that's not going to be as good. Um, <laughs> but I, I like if I was, you know, handed the keys to some superhero thing and I had to do it, I would, I would definitely do Batman, I think. Yeah. But yeah. again, I think it's like all downhill after, um, dark Knight. you know, that's going to be hard to beat. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how you top that one. Um, for what it's worth, mine's J- James Bond. And I love That's asking people. Third. I love asking people that question. Like, did you, I think you get a lot of people's sensibilities when you ask somebody what their favorite film franchise, or if they had to direct one. Because most commercial guys want to do indie, like indie films, and then you put them on the spot yeah. with, you know, that type <laughs> thing. So. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely Blade Runner. I mean, I, I love the sci-fi genre. Um, none of my, I've done some narrative, you know, short stuff, and and um, I've not touched that genre, but I certainly love the genre and am interested in it. I um, I think yeah, I think James Bond and Star Wars, something in the Star Wars world would be like a, you know, a fourth or fifth. But it is crazy how they they have given um, given these franchises to a lot of you know sophomore filmmakers. Yeah, and just got rid of the guys on Hot and Solo film. You guys see that? Yeah. They, they, yeah, well, they parted for creative differences. So I'm curious. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious what that means, but I mean, like John. It's John Watt who's doing Spider-Man: Homecoming, and then yep. Mark Webb who did he did like 500 Days of Summer, and then went straight into Spider-Man, right? Yeah, and this guy named Jordan Vaught, uh, I think Jordan Vaught something. He he's from Michigan actually. He did uh, a Kings of Summer, and then he just did the King Kong movie. That was his yeah. second movie was King Kong. So oh yeah, that's kind of like the monsters, dude. Um, Garth Edwards, right? Ex- exactly, yeah. but it's worked, so that's kind of it's pretty cool. Well, then uh, what was the guy's name that did Safety Not Guaranteed and then Jurassic Park? Oh yeah, yeah, Chris. Like, um, yeah, is it Chris? I can't remember, but yeah, I, yeah, that's a big. I that dude must be amazing in a conference. Yeah, room. how do you go from like, yeah, that's insane. Yeah, I mean, he's not a. He's definitely. He's definitely talented. I mean, they, yeah, those movies are 
those movies are fine, but it's like sometimes <laughs> I wonder if it's that um you know, they get these younger directors in there that they maybe they just have more confidence that they can kind of wrangle them that's, a little bit easier. I think that's absolutely like one of my friends is uh, brothers is good friends with the Jordan kid um, that did the uh, that did King Kong, and they said like it was very tough for him to like push back on anything, you know, just like it's yeah. it's basically directed by committee at that point. Um, but I yeah, mean, which is basically your whole career as a commercial filmmaker. Too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we feel so bad. Indie Our commercial filmmaker. Uh, director. <laughs> it's, yeah, directing by committee. Yeah, speaking of commercial yeah. directing, is that where you got your start, or did you start narrative? Like, kind of take us back to the the beginning. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, I'm from a rural Washington, um, so you know I wasn't filmmaking wasn't really in the cards for me. But my dad's a farmer, and uh, and I kind of grew up in that community doing um, doing that, and and uh, you know having a paper route and, and these kind of things. But we always watched films, and my parents were really uh, really good about getting you know having cinema around. Of course, it was like for me, it was like my dad was a huge John Wayne. And so I watched a lot of John Ford and, um, and, uh, you know, early John Wayne stuff, um, back at that time. And then my grandma, funny enough, like she was a huge actions, like action movie buff. So we, I watched a lot of like <laughs> lethal weapon and under siege and like commando, <laughs> like these eighties and nineties, um, action movies. And then of course, um, you know, all the Spielberg stuff too, but, but yeah, I just was kind of like grew up in this home where movies was a big thing. Our theater was like 30 miles away, but we would go a lot. And, you know, a lot of the stuff I remember watching on VHS. But um, but I, I was like, I knew really early that I wanted to make movies. And I was mostly because of that behind the scenes stuff that I would see. And, and I would just like was really drawn to it. Um, so I only it's weird. I kind of only wanted to do two things. I was like obsessed with the Seattle Mariners. That was our baseball team. And I wanted to be a you know, professional baseball player as a little boy. But then like I quickly realized that wasn't going to happen. And um, and just like kind of pursued filmmaking wholeheartedly from a very young age. And so went to uh, film school. Uh, I went to Brigham Young University. Um, they have a film program there. And and uh how is it and it's good yeah i mean i i i feel like it's it's probably breaking the top 10 in in the in the country oh, wow. um near near the you know near the bottom of that list for sure but the advantage is that like the the byu is owned by the mormon church i don't know if you know this and they yeah. and the mormon in the mormon church has um they have like a motion picture studio so the tools I mean, we're, I was shooting film. I was shooting 35. We were shooting 16. That's we were crazy. coloring. <laughs> we were like coloring on a Da Vinci. I mean, um, we had a, we had like a couple sound stages at our disposal. So um, it was kind of what you made of it. Um, you know, we don't have the, uh, we didn't have the Spike, you know, Lee coming in and giving a lecture like NYU or whatever, but we, we had good professors who, um, open the doors to getting our hands on a lot of stuff. So by the time I left film school, which um, was in 2007, I had I had been, worked as like a cinematographer on a lot of student films and then um, always knew I was going to direct and had direct and shot uh, a few of my own things. And But it was like my second year of film school. Obviously, I was just like with an eye single to make 
films, be it, you know, very low budget indie movies to start out or whatever. Um, but I was introduced to um, this course where in that were in the communications department where um, they were taking it was it's actually a really smart way to do it. They, they had all the ad kids who would write concepts and then they'd recruit a few directors from the um, from the film uh you know, the film school to come over and pitch on their concepts, much like, like a real world environment or whatever. And, and, uh, and so then you'd shoot and then you'd get chosen to shoot the spec concept. And that's amazing. so that was my introduction to commercials. And like I said, I was a junior uh, in film school that I was like in 2006, I didn't, I was like, Oh, commercials, well, these are like little films and they are directors that make these. And I kind of, at that point I was married. Um, I think I had my first child. I got married really young. I was 21, um, or 22 when I got married. Wow. And, um, yeah, 22. And we, we had a, our first child like a year later. Um, and, uh, and so I was kind of like, well, what, what can I do? I had by that time I had worked on these um, low budget indie movies out of Utah as, you know, a set decorator and a few other things or that was, yeah, that was about the time that I got married. And I knew the only thing I wanted to do on set was direct or not be on set. Um, It just wasn't, I didn't want to do anything else other than be a director. So I thought like maybe I can hone my craft and make a, paycheck and not be a starving artist if I really focus in on being a commercial director and kind of get my feet under me. Um, it was never for me an abandonment of like narrative filmmaking, but it was, mm-hmm. it was kind of like a logical thing that it, it felt like a win-win, you know, yeah. um, I had, I should say like a few of my friends had gone out and made 200 and $400,000 indie movies. And there was like a lot of funding going around for that. And um, at that time in Utah, and um, they were just like, I could see them not happy with their films. I could tell like they were just um, suffering through it. And, you know, their, their scripts were, they, they were kind of excited to be offered to do these little movies, but they were just not passionate about it. And and um, I certainly didn't think that's the way that I wanted to do it. You know, I came from BYU, that's like Jared Hess and the alumni, and they had obviously had the success of Napoleon Dynamite. So people there was that world i think they shot napoleon for like 400 or something like that so Mm -hmm. really small and then of course it went on to have huge success and so people were trying to do that recreate you know recreate that um meanwhile i was just like away shooting spec ads and after i graduated i was you know directing corporate videos where they'd say like here's five grand here's seven grand and I would like direct it, shoot it, edit it and everything and just like pocket as much as I could to just only be a director, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, so I just, um, I really familiarized myself with the industry, understanding spec ads, understanding who the production companies were, um, that whole process. And I kind of just put my eye single to like building my reel. And uh, so between, I graduated in 07 by 09, I had like all the spec work that I, you know, I felt like I wanted to do. I felt really strong about my reel. I had shot three or four pieces back then. I was, I mean, everything was still, I was shooting, you know, on 35 at that point. Um, like right when I left film school is when the, the film department started buying uh, reds. Like a red one or something. Um, 
Yeah, I think it was a red one came in like right after I left. But so 2009, I just like start emailing EPs and um, and uh, sales teams, you know, and from there, like got a handful of interviews and met with my this company out in Los Angeles called Uber Content. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, started, started that long lasting relationship with my EP whom I'm still with today. Um, Uber is no longer, uh, so like a year and a half ago, um, the EPs decided to do something different. And so I just went with my longtime EP over to a new company called Sanctuary Content, uh, which is a nice little boutique still out in LA. And that's where, that's where I'm at. So that's kind of my road to going from broke and hungry <laughs> film student to uh, directing commercials, you know? What What would you say was your strategy with the spec work? Did you have, did you have something in mind? Like, did you, were you able to like find your style within that? Or like, what was your, what was your process of like deciding which brands you wanted to shoot and all of that? What did that look like? Yeah, I mean that's a great question. It's like it's certainly a process. I mean, I get this question asked all the time. Um, it's really, I feel like it's it's really different now today. The the type of things that you can kind of anchor your reel around. Of course, Vimeo wasn't around at the time, um, and, and that I feel like has changed the game. But I at one point I had like three or four spots that I thought were pretty pretty solid. And I sent them to some working directors and they said, you know, all of these are great, but like, I don't know who you are because you've got a con you've got like this sports thing on here and you've got this like heartfelt thing on here. And then you've got, um, you know, like this kind of funny thing on here. What, like, what do you want to do? Um, and so I took a moment to really figure out, I watched a ton of spots. I mean, the guys who were like Mark Malloy, um, probably single-handedly his reel was what like i i kind of turned me on to commercials mm. um who else i it's frederick bond those dudes i was looking at their work and really inspired and and seeing how these were like really really talented filmmakers making you know um somehow infusing these commerce driven concepts with with great story and, and stuff like that and and so i kind of took a minute to figure out what i wanted to say um and I wrote a spec spot. I remember I was just laying in bed when it came to me and it was this Kodak um, spec thing that I wrote. And um, I think we called it memories or something. And, uh, and it kind of, just, it kind of had everything in it at the time that I was interested in. It was a little magical. It was, you know, it was a pretty solid little story. Um, and uh, I don't even know if it's, online anywhere anymore but um or i I don't even know where it's at on any one of my computers (laughs) but um yeah and once i nailed that that was kind of it that spot um i don't know if you guys remember boards mag but boards mag was in its last year or something and they they really loved it and shoots and um a few other things and boards mag put like gave me a nice um some love and said they did like the top young directors and they put me on that list and stuff. And so that kind of opened the door. And once they had that and they anchored a few other spots around that, then you could kind of go to a sales team and say, this is Cole and he does this. And while that's like, like you never want to 
get pigeonholed per se as a director. Um, it's kind of the world of commercials where you mm. at least have to have three or four spots that say, this is who you are and this is the films you make. I mean, there's obviously, I think Noah Murrow is a great example of someone who, uh, Dougal Wilson as well, who get to do a little bit of everything. Um, I, but I think for the rest of us commoners, like the, it's a little bit, uh, it takes a while to get into that. I mean, be given the keys to multiple like genres, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you feel like um, when you sign with a, your first production company, do you feel like you were, you still had to push to get things produced and still were doing things by yourself? Or did you feel like I signed with a production company and just like completely changed my career? Um, you know, or do you feel like you still had to, you know, kind of create your own content even then? Um, well, I, I'll say that I think that you should always be creating content if you, if you're inspired to or want to, or if you really, if you want to work, I mean, um, yeah, it's, I definitely, it's, that was like a huge stepping stone for me and a goal. And I knew that I was never going to do a national TV spot, like just as a dude living in, um, you know, an apartment in Utah. Um, so so that was I knew that was this necessary step to get this like whole infrastructure around my reel, get a sales team in New York, the Midwest and L.A. Um, pushing it out there. Um, so 100 percent like that's that's kind of just what you have to do if you if you want to direct spots that are on TV and that people are going to see them outside of a regional market and you're, you want to you want to get paid like those guys do like that you have to get signed. And, and once you get signed then it's a little bit on everybody, you know, at that point you have a team who, um, look, my EP at Preston Lee is like notorious for building guys. Um, uh, he's great. He found, you know, I was nobody. I came up in his office and, and so he has a real skill for learning how to like introduce new talent to the industry. Um, and, and he did that well for me and I worked really hard too to shoot spec after I got signed to continue to, to push, you know, for the first three or four years, I, it was great. You went from like being this um, dude doing corporate videos to like doing these commercials that, you know, were paid you really well. And then four years later, I was just kind of like, I don't want to do these happy family little, um, you know, catch up commercials anymore. Or, right. Or um, what was, you know, like, whatever it may be. I don't want to name brands, you know, these yeah. are all, I, cause I made a lot of friends during this time, but I was, I was ready to be done with that kind of work. Mm-hmm. And, and so it was, it was a process. And I just said, look, I'm going to step away for a minute and I'm going to shoot some work that I think will invite in, you know, like will invite me in on some different pitches that I want to be involved in. Um, mm-hmm. And, and so that progression was, was something that had to happen along the way too. Otherwise, you, know, you can get comfortable doing the stuff, but then you wake up and you're, you're just like, um, you know, you're tired. You're done. You're done with that kind of thing. And I, and again, like I'm, I, if I'm still doing commercials and only exclusively commercials in five more years, I'll have failed. Like that's not my plan. Um, uh, but everything, everything's going pretty well. I mean, my, my whole thing was like right around now I, I, I'm, ready to make that first film and and we're getting really close um how, how important do you think it is for a director to have kind of like a producer mindset 
especially with like passion projects and, and getting things done. Yeah, man. I think there's so many talented, um, insert photographer, director, illustrators, whatever creatives around the world who will never see their work. And I think it's because they, they either don't have the following or they don't have the rest of the attributes that help the world see their work or, or they've had bad luck too. I really think you have to have an insane amount of talent. Um, and then you have to have an insane work ethic Mm -hmm. and whatever that means, like, yeah, a producer mind or just getting out and making stuff the drive or knowing how to connect with people who are, who are talented in that regard. Um, and then you need a little bit of like the right time, right place at the right time, you know? Um, and, and that part you can't control, which is really frustrating at times. And mm-hmm. you, you see other dudes um, and, you know, you see other people uh, excel and you see them do like this one music video and they go from nobody's ever heard of them to suddenly they're doing like Nike and Apple campaigns. And you're like, how come that's not me? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's fine. It just, you just got to get, you know, that's not going to happen to everybody. I think like my career has been a real good example of, just like keep working um i've always known that like i i can do certain things that my skill sets a certain level i feel really confident in my ability to tell um narrative um driven commercials um i'm really excited about uh, the narrative stuff coming up and that i have done and you just have to find a way to introduce yourself to the rest of the world and let them know that that's that you can do that as well um I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about, or I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that Super Bowl stuff that I did, but you know, that's a, that was a good example of um, being in the right place at the right time and having some good things happen. Yeah. I, I think right now it's a great segment to talk about that 84 lumbar spot that you did. Um, can you just like, just give us like how'd that come about and kind of what was the genesis of that? Were you helping in the writing concept of that? You know, how, kind of how'd that come kind of come into uh, form? Sure. Well, I was in um, Dubai shooting this spot and um, I was just about to go to sleep. And I, you know, the, the other half of the world is awake. And I got an email from my producer saying, hey, there's some boards coming in for you uh, for a Super Bowl spot through a small agency out of Pittsburgh called Bruner, whom I'd never heard of for a company that I had never heard of. 84 Lumber, you know, what is that? Mm-hmm. Um but I saw Super Bowl and I thought, okay, that's interesting. I wonder what they're doing. And, and then I, and the boards were like, um, I, they actually sent me like a, a set of boards that were, were um, not, not the current version. Mm. So they had a total different ending and I saw the ending and I was like, Oh, that's, I really like this story, but I don't love the ending. Um, and then, and so, but I was like, well, we definitely have to talk to him because I'm really curious to see, I mean, this is so on point. This is so like, um, you know, at that point, it was still the story of, of these two immigrants um, encountering a huge wall and a, the door and everything like that. So um, I think they wouldn't mind me saying that instead of um, instead of her, like giving mom this flag that she had collected across along the way that was uh, her singing with broken English, the national anthem, which which just wasn't going to wasn't going to work. Um and and I was pretty adamant about that too, going into that first call. Like, 
oh man, we got to figure out a way to make that ending better. But I got on the phone with them and to, um, luckily for me, they had had a big director, um, attached to do this commercial and he had just pulled out and they had like three days to award the job. And so they had reached out to me and, um, you know, three or four other really, um, a class of directors that I was happy to be included with. Um, Mm. not, uh, not, not young directors by any means, but really talented, um, directors. And, and, uh, we had a call. It went great. I found out, you know, they had changed that ending to this whole, um, collecting articles uh, along the way to, to create this flag. And, um, anyway, so there was a lot, it was basically like this girl goes on a journey with their mom and we encounter them at the wall and the rest of that was like fill in the blanks. Um, and so they had, they did give us a lot of, give me a lot of freedom to, in my treatment to really pitch, you know, what this girl does. I thought it was really important that, um, leaving home was hard, that she didn't really want to leave home, that mom, you know, that mom sitting there and looking at those photos that there was like, um, an emptiness that you should feel that, that, um, there wasn't like everything, her problems were going to be solved as soon as she got to that, to the other side of that wall, but that, um, you know, that she was really, she really loved her home. And, and so we wanted to, I wanted to infuse that and they, they loved that idea and they brought to the table, they brought ideas to the table about that. And, and then of course, just where and how this little girl discovers all these elements. Um, I had this really, you know, it's really important to me that that first article, that that bag on that um, fence uh, flapping in the wind that kind of inspired the notion of a flag, that that came at that moment of a storm that kind of also helped us juxtapose the contrast of like these, the weather and the difficulty of the journey and everything. So, yeah, they gave us a lot of freedom. And um, anyway, so we I, you know pitched my heart out in a treatment. And uh, that job got done and I was like running through the airport to catch my flight to come home on Christmas Eve, I think December or December 23rd. And, um, and I took a second call running through the airport and I was really stressful and, uh, and I got on my flight and I landed in Paris and I had like four hours in the lounge to finish up the final treatment. Uh, the, the treatment they had done it. They were so rushed. I did a second call before I had even like submitted my treatment. Um, and it was like, Hey, they have to award in the morning. I landed in Paris and I looked at the treatment and I I had had a team helping me build it. And I had to just kind of totally rebuild it because it just was like, I wasn't on point to kind of what I wanted, uh, bless their hearts for trying to help. But it was like, I was very specific with my imagery on it. And, and so I had, luckily I had like four hours in that lounge to, um, package the pitch the way that I wanted it, um, visually, we submitted it and then it was like, all right, cool. And, uh, I think somewhere over the Atlantic, um, my producer emailed me and said, you booked the job. <laughs> so we didn't know any of this. I mean, we assumed that there would be, it would be a hot point. Um, you know, this conversation, especially cause Trump was out and about making a lot of, you know, like making a ruckus about, um, immigration at the time anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but we did. I'm, we were like four days away from production when we heard that the NFL and Fox, or was it Fox or, I can't remember which conglomerate like actually put the axe on it. But I think it was Fox when or um, when we heard 
that um, it was being censored, like they, that we couldn't show anything to do with the wall. And for like a hot second, I, w- I was really nervous. I thought, oh, well, they're going to freak out and they're going to want to change the script. And it's going to become this whole different thing that, uh, that we didn't want it to be. Um, but I was so gracious that like uh, the the agency they were like so they were so committed to um, to the story that we just doubled down and we said no um, you know they said no like we're gonna make the script that we wanted to make we're gonna take it up to this little like um, go see the rest of the film mm-hmm. point um, I mean she had invested this. Uh, business owner uh, 84 lumber who who's so awesome um and really brave to do the film she had invested in a, a 90 second commercial man that's so much money oh yeah and uh and so we took it in 90 seconds worth up to that point and just hoped people would go see the rest of the film uh in many ways like i'm really glad because you said the film <laughs> i mean it ended up being like over five minutes long um right and we would we had we would have had to t- tell that whole story in 90 seconds, and yeah, I think it would have you know it would have been great too because we know like 114 million people would have seen that wall and that door and and heard the message. I'm sure um, a much smaller uh, you know uh, amount of people saw it online, but I guess like for me as a storyteller, I was kind of like selfishly jealous or selfishly happy about having all that extra time to to flush out the story. Well, and so once we knew that it was like, we had six days, it was a six day shoot. I had two, a two, uh, second crew working for me. Like I, I had a second unit DP out shooting a bunch of stuff with like stand-ins, um, during mm-hmm. that whole travel montage. But me and like Justin Brown and the um, first unit, we just kind of allowed each, we were, we were given the freedom to kind of let that story breathe a little bit more, you know? Yeah. And I think maybe the, speaking for myself it's like i think maybe the the censorship to a certain extent like maybe drew more views to the to the five minute piece you know it's like you, you, if you would have had a five minute piece and it would have played it as a 90 you know it wouldn't have been seen nearly as much as it as it is now you know i think a lot of people yeah. probably did did actually see the film in super bowl and actually go follow the link yeah and that was like that was certainly something that we talked about and we hoped that well maybe and i gotta be clear though like nobody involved in the production um leaked this information that there was like three or four days later it was leaked to some media outlets that the the spot you know it's a big deal because she was spending so much money and then everybody was like 15 million dollars for this ad time and this spot has been censored and somehow that got out to the press and so we're starting shooting and, and we're getting updates on like gawker and all these other websites about this spot that that uh, is too controversial to be shown at this. And there was like a lot of misinformation. It was kind of a wild ride because I hadn't experienced that with in commercials, you know? Yeah. Um, but no, we were just, we kind of like, we just put our head down and said like, that's the story we've committed to. And by then we had these great actors that we found in Mexico and, and we just, we kind of went for it now. Were you, were you aware at the time that you took the project on that, that the NFL or Fox, whoever axed it could even do that? No, I didn't. And that was like, you know, you have all these, um, all of us, I'm, you know, middle-aged, uh, white guys who have been privileged their whole life sitting in a room saying like, what about freedom of speech? Like, how can we, yeah, <laughs> you know, we were yeah. pretty upset. Um, 
and uh but but i i mean it is it's 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 like its own private entity and i get it i i feel like i get it now i was like pretty disgruntled at, at the time but mm-hmm. i mean i guess i understand the how um i don't understand the why as much um but you know who cares at the end of the day like i think it did benefit um the viewership and and at least us being able to to get out there and share that story. And for me, like, look, political um, uh, message aside, like I just wanted to make something that, that put a face to immigration and that, that didn't categorize it as just like this political hot topic, but that like, this was, this is a real thing that affects real people. And, Mm -hmm. and so I really kind of put blinders on to everything else and really just focused on trying to establish um, that connection between the mom and the child. I mean, the film, the film has taken some criticism that it like romanticizes, you know, immigration and fair enough, like for sure we couldn't, you know, I wasn't going to do a documentary that showed, uh, you know, the sexual predators that are waiting to capture like women and children along the borderline. And, and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, so like we were conscious of the fact that we couldn't tell that story, but at the very least I was, I wanted to give something that felt honest and, and, uh, and that didn't, you know, oversimplify it and hopefully had, you know, all the complexities of, of what the subject um, deserves or whatever. So do you, do you have a favorite project that you've worked on Cole? I mean, obviously that one was, I'm sure an incredible project to work on. Is, is there another one that's really close? You felt like it was really close to who you are as a filmmaker. Yeah, I'd probably go to my narrative work for that. I mean, um, so I I lived in the Dominican Republic, Republic for a couple of years. And so I am I'm speak Spanish fluently and I do a lot of these commercials um, like a service country is uh, Santiago, Chile. So I've been down there shooting, you know, Kellogg's and uh, what other commercials? I feel 3M. I did that 3M spot down there. That's on yeah. my reel. And uh a band-aid I like a band-aid campaign down there but I've like shot there a lot and I have like a really great um you know really great service company that we use called good gate and so I was down there and I was kind of inspired to do like a short film while I was down there I've done like four I think short films and um so we did this thing and this was actually part of why I looked at the lumber thing is they saw that I did narrative work and they saw that I could speak Spanish fluently and they saw like of uh, you know my my spanish language films and so um i did this film called kona more that i'm pretty proud of Mm -hmm. um and then um i actually like a film that i maybe even like a little bit more is a short that i did called 1017 which um is part of this uh it was part of this trilogy of short films that i'm trying to do i'm laughing because i don't know if i'll ever finish the third one it's it's just like i have something i try to do like at the end of a commercial every once in a while um, so I have the first two films done. The first one's called uh, 1017 and the second one I shot when I was in Barcelona. And um, that one's pretty, pretty good too. But I really like this short film, Conamore, and then this other film that I did called 1017, which I don't know, hopefully I'm going to release pretty soon. It's been done for over a year and, um, and I just haven't shown anybody because I kind of want to roll it out. as like, uh, here's chapter one. And then a week later, roll out chapter two and a mm. week you know, and they're like 10 minute short films or whatever. But um, yeah, the thing that makes those things 
so good is I've just found these great actors down in Chile that who, who I think like their cali- their level of actors, they're like top level actors down there. Um, I just wouldn't have access to them in, in LA at this, you know, to do a, a short probably um, if they were the equivalent in LA, you know, mm-hmm. I always say this like girl, Daniela Ramirez, who, who was the lead in my um, short. She's like this Chilean um, Jessica Chastain. Yeah. She's mm-hmm. so good. Um, anyway, so I'm, I'm writing a feature to try and go down there and do with them. But I also have like another thing that I'm developing. Um, uh, that's, uh, for the States, um, to do pretty soon. Nice. So you don't live in LA or New York. Um, do you want to talk about like the, the kind of, you, you feel the advantages and disadvantages of not living in, you know, one of the two, like, I guess, major markets in the United States? Yeah. I mean, I guess it'll be obviously one-sided cause I've never lived in LA and I've never lived in New York. So mm. I can only say like what my experience has been, but um, you know, I, I feel like, I feel like I haven't suffered at all from not living in LA. Um, I could be wrong, but uh, that's just how I feel. I feel like, uh, I've always been present and available for, for situations. I mean, I mean, part of, uh, apart from like walking down the street and bumping into some screenwriter or actor or whatever that I somehow magically collaborated with on a feature. I'm not doing that in Utah. Right. But, um, but I, when my first trip to LA to, to get signed, I said like, should I, should, I'm ready to move out here. Should I need to move out here? And you know, the answer was like, no, like, why would you move out here? Oh, really? I would live, I would live where you're at. You don't need, you're just going to get on conference calls and then an airplane. Um, and they were true. They were right. Like it was, everything was conference calls and, and then uh, airplanes. I mean, look, like I, it's an hour and a half. I was in LA yesterday. I flew to LA for a meeting. Uh, I got there at nine thirty, and I finished my meeting and I jumped on a five thirty flight back home. Um, so it's super easy for me to get there for a meeting. Yeah, I can't jump in my car and drive down and have like a meeting at some studio for development or whatever. Um, I need a day's notice. But apart from that, it's like. You know, it's pretty simple. I really enjoy, um, I kind of like enjoy landing in Salt Lake and feeling like, oh, I'm not at work. Like I'm not in the rat race a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also like just a kid who was raised in a rural environment. And, and Salt Lake is like a, Salt Lake's like a city. I mean, it's a town. It's a big town. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's a lot bigger than what I grew up in. And um, I like that. I It's like perfect size for me. But I would do fine. I would do fine in LA and New York, but dude, I have four kids and, and, uh, and I just, uh, I don't know how that would work in New York. Um, it would for sure work in LA a little bit easier, but yeah, I love it out here. I went, took the kids camping the other day. Not that you can't do this in New York and LA, but I, right. I, we have a cabin that's like 50 miles away. That's like up in the woods that we go to. It's just really nice. Nice. Um, yeah, I was in, I was in Salt Lake a couple of years ago. It's a it's a beautiful place. Yeah, it's cool. I've been here since 2004. I guess I should I feel like I should feel like it's more like home. But I'm really it's weird in your in your early 30s you still kind of like you still kind of think home is back where you grew up. Um, but I mean, this is the only place my kids have ever known. You know. Mm-hmm. So you haven't adopted the sports teams or anything? No, and I'm like. I don't really 
know much about jazz the jazz at yeah. all. Yes, I mean I think it's the only one, right? But I mean my daughter's a huge Seahawks fan because oh, that's okay. yeah cause... that's who we that's who we watch. But like I guess Real Salt Lake they won like the MLB or the what is the MLS, MLS yeah the MLS championship a couple years ago and everything. Um, and then jazz, you know, jazz are always going to have a ceiling. I don't know how many really great player, you know, talents are going to want to call Salt Lake home. Unfortunately, right. you're going to need a, but, you're gonna need a piston like jazz, situation. Yeah. Jazz fans are, they're committed out here, man. Yeah. They have crazy fans. Um, yeah. So kind of goals. I mean, you've hinted at your kind of narrative, narrative is kind of the ultimate goal is that you know you even kind of mentioned like very soon is that something um you're working on or you can talk about as any of the projects you're kind of kind of working towards yeah i mean i've we i've uh i've got a screenwriter that i'm collaborating with that i did um, my undergrad with he went off and while i was getting my career going in commercials he got an mfa at columbia and lives in la and is um he's got his first movie being made and um him, him and i have been working on a script since last summer so i think we're like on our fourth or fifth draft um and uh i'm really excited about it um it's it's about a small town police officer um who's uh who's pretty corrupt and his wife is murdered and he kind of um is pitted against like the criminals in the towns who in the town who, who he's done their dirty work for him for a long time. And then the cops who don't really trust him, uh, set in a North Dakota, um, you know, oil, uh, town. Mm. And, uh, he's kind of forced to try and figure out this mystery whilst not really having anybody on his side. I mean, he's a real anti-hero, you know? Mm. Um, uh, so we're working on that and a um, little, like little said, fargo I'm, inspiration in that at all yeah or, for sure i yeah. think like my writer is um and my sensibilities a lot of like the films that you know as we kind of started to build this script i was inspired by um you know blue ruin and mm. oh, yeah. uh of course um i thought like this was later we already had a couple drafts of our script when hell or high water came out but it's like in that world you know winter's yeah, bone yeah. Out of Furnace. No, no Country, Out of the Furnace, yeah. Scott Cooper. I love – I really like Jeff Nichols as well. Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, Denis Villeneuve, his stuff is so good. Like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's some Sicario, I feel like, influences what I do. But, um, yeah, I think it could be really great. Uh, I like the script, and I, and I just, like, hopefully – you know these things like people spend 10 years trying to get a movie made um i'm not gonna (laughs) i really hope i'm not gonna do that because i feel like pretty pretty ready um i love commercials and i will do them as long as people will hire me but i mean uh yeah that was not that's not you know it's not the ultimate goal yeah yeah that's not what like really where I started or where I want to end up, um, exclusively. Yeah. And I think that's like inform. Yeah. I think that's like obviously present in, in, in the work that I've done in the last couple of years, that's more narrative driven. Um, and that's really refreshing because that's hard to get. I mean, yeah. it's hard to get that in the commercial world. I, I just passed on like two scripts today that were just vignette, vignette, vignette. Everything's vignette, you know? Right. And, sure. 
I mean, like, With I'll no be clear. Ties to, yeah. Yeah, and I'll be clear, like, 84 Lumber, I will never get a script like that again. Mm. That That's just, like, re- you know, that's really, really rare. First of all, that, like, you get the keys to a budget that, I mean, that was a healthy budget. Um, it was with a client who gave us just unprecedented, like, freedom. She didn't even come to the shoot. You know what I mean? Like, it was <laughs> me and the ad wow. agency, like, at the shoot. And we're talking about, like, I don't even want to say how much money that I'm sure she invested in this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, I mean, it's amazing, like, how when you give when you give the right people that much freedom, like, how good something can turn out. And I think that's a testament to that. But as I said, like, it's just um, they're really few and far in between. I've, I'm doing this great script that I'm super excited about in August. I've just been um, so lucky just to be able to kind of take the month and month and a half off. We're taking our kids to Hawaii this next week and just nice. and um, and just knowing like, oh, the next thing I do is like a real story again. It's just really nice. And I, I get it like those that's going to be one in every, you know, five scripts. Um, but it's it's nice to nice to see that I think there's finally a trend moving back towards more narrative and less like ultra vignette stuff, you know? Yeah. I mean, we've all done it. Like, look at my New Balance thing, you know? It's like that 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 was right in par with that trend, and and now I'm just happy to see everything moving a little more to like single story, um, developing a single character a little bit better. Hopefully, at least. Yeah. No, absolutely. Well, it, it seems like you're in a seems like you're in a great spot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what just to to close things out? What's what's something or a few things that you know now that you wish you would have known starting out? Um, well, I think that success is relative. Um, I think that it's a really um, you know there. I went through a period of time after I got signed and. Or for I lost like nine pitches in a row or ten pitches. I mean, it was like for I remember it was like four or five, six months or something. I could not win anything, uh, and it was really it was really tough. Um, and and we just you know persevered and and kept pitching and kept shooting spec and and turned that around. And and you know I just went through a period where um where it's really strange but i i uh i booked like every job for that i had pitched on for nine jobs straight and that doesn't happen um so you're gonna have highs and lows you know um you're gonna get to some plateau and you're gonna feel like well i've got this now i'm not satisfied anymore uh and i think those are good things but I, I think now I have a, I'm a little older and I have some perspective. I'm 34, and um, I would just tell a lot of young filmmakers to just try to enjoy kind of the process, enjoy um, enjoy the fact that hopefully you can make a living being a director. Uh, don't you know? Never be satisfied if you're not if you're not doing that narrative stuff or you're not doing that feature or whatever. Um, you know, those are all things that I'm going through right now. It's like making sure that I keep the momentum going for that next step, which is to do a couple movies, you know? Um, but I, I think you can spend an awful lot of time in this industry um, uh, disappointed 
And I just think for the health, you know, like for your personal health that I, I went through that learning curve of learning how to not compare my work so much to other people, um, to just feel confident about my, um, my skills and to, to work hard and, and to kind of push past those, you know, those feelings of like, I'm never going to do this, or this guy's work is so much better than mine, or this girl, you know, this lady's like, did you see this lady's short film or whatever? Um, because there is a lot, just, I feel like it's really tough to be a DP because there's so many good DPs. Well, there's so many good directors too. And the idea that you're going to lose a job because you're not good enough is not um, healthy. And it's not necessarily true. I mean, I've heard of instances where I've lost a job because I was the recommend and a CD, you know, executive CD walked, a creative director walks in the room and says, what? No, we're working with my buddy so-and-so over at so-and-so. Um, so you just never know why you're not booking work, why you're not um, excelling. But, you know, I, just for everybody's health, I feel like <laughs> don't take it so seriously. Of course, if you're like not making enough to pay your rent, you know, it's a difficult thing. But if you can get by, there's a lot of people working a lot harder than you getting a lot less money. Um, and, and uh, uh, you know, and their prospects are a lot um, worse than yours too. So I don't know. Is that good advice? Yeah, no, that's, that's great advice. I think that's I feel probably like the I'm most. A, I feel like that's cause I'm a dad. <laughs> <laughs> Want to give that father, fatherly director advice. Yeah. Yeah. I think I I think that's probably one of the hardest parts about directing is is handling downtime and handling defeats because it is such like a roller coaster ride. So I think no, I think that's really important to hear from somebody that's seen quite a bit of success uh, as yourself. So no, I think that was that's a great answer. Cool. Yeah, I think I sometimes I have to um, if I'm going to watch a new spot that's like just getting so much accolades, I I almost have to like have the dialogue in my head before I watch it, like hey just appreciate this for the work that it is don't compare yourself to it right and um and just like learn from it and and because i mean you can get really <laughs> yep. it could be really tough if all you're doing is watching all this work that other people are doing that you wish you're doing and um in and you're not getting that stuff you know oh yeah definitely not how that goes well yeah well thanks for coming but on everybody's man everybody's doing fine and as long as you keep working there's gonna like i said there's gonna be ups and downs but enjoy the ride man right absolutely there you go cole's a man that was fun learned a lot so till next time talking to another cool director talking about director things learning about director stuff why not see ya